So good to be with you. If I have not met you yet, my name is Daryl Holden. Thank you, sir. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my pleasure to be with you this weekend. Um, if you are newer and you're in this room, uh, there's a QR code on the seat in front of you, and if you would hit that with your phone, that would take you to our Connect page, give you an opportunity to let us know you're here. We'd love to know that so that we can connect you to what's going on, answer any questions, pray for you. If you're watching online, uh, you can hit the Connect button on the, on the page there, and uh, that will take you to the same spot. So we'd love to know if you're newer. And if you wanna know what's going on, like that's the spot. There's a What's Happening page there on that as well. And so um, if you'd take advantage of that, we'd sure appreciate it. So I'm really excited about this weekend uh, together with you. We are um, in a couple of weeks where we're looking at a couple different character studies. So every once in a while we stop and take a couple of weeks and look at different people who are in the Bible. And part of the beauty of looking at people in the Bible is that they're real and they have lives like us and we get to learn about who God is and some things about ourselves and how we relate with him and how we move forward as we look at different people in the Bible. And so this week, I wanna spend some time looking at the life of a lady named Hannah. So if you, if you grew up in church, you might have heard of her. She makes Sunday school material. So if you were a kid in the church, and um, I was thinking about this for me, I grew up in church. I heard about Hannah in Sunday school, and if, I think I've heard sermons on her, but it was probably on Mother's Day. So other than that, I'm not sure I've heard much about her. So I've really enjoyed my time preparing uh, to talk to you this weekend. So um, I think this is gonna be really helpful and really encouraging for us. So I wanna let you know, so like the Old Testament, the first two thirds of the Bible really, where a lot of these Bible stories from Sunday school come from is, we call it the Old Testament, and it is a history of God's people, the ancient nation of Israel. And while it starts in Genesis with creation, it very quickly gets us to the father of the nation of Israel, his name was Abraham, and it begins to take us through the ups and downs of God's relationship with his people. So this lady, Hannah, that we're gonna be talking about this weekend, I wanna kinda show you where she fits in the, the national picture, the big story of, of what God is doing. So if you're reading through the Old Testament, really the first prominent person, you get past Abraham, and as you get into God's people, the nation of Israel, you run into two guys, Moses and Joshua. So Moses is the guy who leads the nation out of slavery to Egypt, through the Red Sea, the 10 plagues, all that kind of stuff, and then Joshua is the guy who leads them into the land that God had promised to give to them. And so these are leaders of this nation of Israel, and while they were leaders, Moses and Joshua were leaders of the nation of Israel, with some exceptions, with a caveat in there, the nation of Israel was in relationship with God, they understood who he was, they were hearing his, his way for living out their lives, and the nation was following the Lord. And then Joshua dies. See, as he fades off the scene, there hits this period in the history that's known as the period of the judges. And instead of like Moses and Joshua, prominent national leaders, there were, there were seasons where different people, men and women, God would raise them up to be rulers of the people, but it was always in response to disobedience. So the nation forgot about who God was and they would walk away from his ways and the nations around them would begin to oppress them and they would begin to live in the fruit of their disobedience. And God would see them and hear their suffering and he would respond and he would raise up these judges for them. And 
the nation would begin to live in obedience again to the Lord, but it was never like full obedience. And so this period of the judges, and if you read through, there's a book in the Old Testament called Judges. It's like this, it's just this downward spiral for, for the people of God. And, and kind of the bottom of that, where it hits, it just says about the people at that time is that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And, and so there was, there was no concern for who God is, there's no concern for what his ways were and how they were supposed to relate to him or to each other. Everybody just did what they thought was best and it was disaster. And so, so the people, God's people had pulled back from him. And because they had pulled back from him, he also pulled back from them. And so there was this, this distance between them and God, and, and God's people were living again in the fruit of their disobedience and their, their distance from their God. And, and while God had pulled back from them, he had never turned his back on them. So he, he saw, and he is, he is seeing the consequences of their disobedience, and he is seeing how far they are from him, and he is getting ready to move and to, to reignite uh, relationship and obedience with them. He's coming towards them, and he's, he's gonna do that in the life of a guy, through the life of a guy named Samuel. And Samuel is this transitionary person between the period of the judges and the period of the kings, which the height of the period of kings is King David, who wrote most of the Psalms. And if you're reading through the Old Testament, like he is, he is the person most like Jesus in the Old Testament. And so Samuel is really where our story starts because Hannah is Samuel's mom. So this is kind of an origin story and we're in 1 Samuel chapter one today at our time together. This is kind of an origin story of this, of this guy who is so critical in the history of the people of, of God and, and we wanna focus in on his mom because what God does with her for her, through her, is, is absolutely incredible. So, so if you're in 1 Samuel chapter one, there are several verses that just kinda introduce you to Hannah, and let me just kinda give you the highlights of, of her circumstances. So Hannah is married to this guy named Elkanah, and she's his first wife. We, we presume he has two wives, we know that from the text, and if you're, wondering about how that stuff goes on in the Bible, and it, well, if, you, if you read the subtext, when there are, like, God is not for polygamy, when there are multiple wives in a scenario, there is always chaos and, chaos and disaster surrounded that relationship, and, and that is true in this scenario as well. So Hannah is the first wife of this guy named Elkanah, and Hannah cannot have kids, and in the first few verses of this chapter about Hannah, the Bible really explicitly says the Lord had closed her womb. It says it twice. I mean, just like to make sure we get the picture that the Lord had closed her womb. And I don't really know what to do with that other than to say, like God himself takes full credit for the circumstances, like these particular circumstances that Hannah finds herself in, the Lord had closed her womb. So, so she belongs to this devout family. They're religious. And what we know about that is every year, what God, had, what God had told his people was three times a year you're supposed to come from wherever you are to where my 
my place of worship is, and in this time, it was at this place called Shiloh. So three times a year, you're supposed to come, and you're supposed to come and worship me. And so Hannah and the family, Elkanah, Hannah, and the second wife of the kids, like they all participated in that. And so year after year, they came and they participated in the sacrifices and the rituals that they were supposed to participate in. And as we read about their participation in those sacrifices and those rituals, what we find out is that, that Hannah, Elkanah, loved her. He, he, she, was, she was obviously his favorite. He made it very clear that she was his favorite. And what it says, the way he did that was at the sacrifices, he gave her twice as much food as he gave to the other wife, like, because he loved her. And, and so like, that's, he loved her. And so she was loved by her husband. And then the other thing that was happening in that family unit was she was relentlessly provoked and irritated by the second wife, whose name is Penina, I think that's how, that's how I pronounce it. And, and she was, Penina had children, she had multiple children. And that was the issue between them and Penina because that was how, that was in that culture, that was how they kept score. And, and that was the sign of God's favor and God's blessing and, and so Penina was, really clear with Hannah, like I'm God's favorite in this relationship. He may give you twice as much food and, and spoke down to her and pressured her and bullied her and, and mistreated her, provoked her, irritated her. So much so that like what she's referred to in the account, she's referred to as Hannah's rival. So, so Hannah is this, is, this is Hannah and this is the circumstances that she lives in. So I wanna pick up reading in this story, 1 Samuel chapter one. I wanna start, I wanna read verses seven and eight for us. So this went on, this circumstance that Hannah found herself in, childless, provoked by her rival, went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And, and again, like we see his, um, his effort and his attempt at, at helping her, but year after year she has, she has disappointment, year after year she has frustration and aggravation, year after year she has heartbreak. And the, the best that her husband has to offer, like he has no hope to offer her. What, what he's got to say to her is, hey, I love you and I'm really good to you, aren't I better to you than 10 sons? No, you're not. And, and so year, don't miss this, and don't miss this as we read this. This goes on year after year. This is year after year of, of childlessness, year after year of, of feeling less than, year after year of being bullied, year after year of being offered some kind of comfort that probably caused more pain year after year. So verse nine. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. So that eating and drinking idea, this isn't just like they had lunch. This is a reference to the sacrificial participation. This was when, when they brought their sacrifices to the Lord as a devout family, they would, they would sacrifice and a portion of that sacrifice was given back to them to celebrate before the Lord. And so, so they had had their 
sacrificial feast. They had participated in worship of their day. And probably the closest thing that we could connect this to in our time, this would be sort of like after a Christmas Eve service or maybe on Easter morning, you know, after like finishing up the worship portion and, and after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, after, when the worship part was coming to an end, Hannah stood up. Now, this isn't she's just getting up from the table because the meal's over. If, if she was just getting up from the table because the meal's over, then I don't think we need to know about this. Because she's been standing up after the worship meal year after year after year, and nothing changes for her. But this particular year, when the worship was over and she's still in all this turmoil, Hannah stood up. And I wanna, I wanna suggest to you that, that she, she stood up because she had had enough. She'd had enough of, of year after year of being childless, of year after year being provoked and bullied by her rival, of year after year of, of hearing from her husband words that were no comfort to her. She'd had enough, so she stood up. Now, this could go one of two ways. The first way that this could go, like this could be, this could be a moment of, of self-empowerment where, where, she, where she stood up into her strength and she stood up and found her voice to stand up to her rival and to speak to her husband, like a moment of self-empowerment. It could, it could have been that kind of moment. And, and even if it had been that kind of moment, I think we would all cheer for her because she's, like, she's standing up for herself. But the other thing that we know about self-empowerment is what self-empowerment brings to yourself and brings to circumstances is just the best you can do. Like all it brings is the power that that you've got into the situation and and frankly none of us as people have like we don't have power to bring to something to create the kind of change that Hannah was looking for in her life. And so when she stood up, this, she wasn't standing up in self-empowerment, she was actually standing up in, this is the absolute opposite of that. She's standing up in a moment of surrender. It's a, a moment of abandonment and surrender to the Lord because, because there's nothing else to do. So, so she stood up, and I would, I would suggest to you that what what happened in this moment with Hannah is very similar to what the Bible tells us about in Romans chapter 12. Starting in Romans chapter 12, verse one, the Bible tells us, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is... This is, just, this is one of those all-in moments, right? This is, this is an all-in decision for, for someone to say, I, like, I am at the end of myself. And so I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, this is for people who, who have received God's mercy. This is, this is for people who understand who he is, and because they have received his mercy, they know that they can call on him for further mercy. This is, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Like, this is just, 
This is abandonment of self. This is, this is complete and total surrender to who God is and what he has for me. And, and when, when Hannah stood up, she stood up into this moment of, I can't do, like this, this can't go on. I, I, I can't do this anymore. Elkanah can't help. I can't change the circumstances. I am casting myself on the Lord. I am, I am all the way giving myself to him and for him. And, and we read that as we read through the rest of this story. And what happens in Hannah's story is that this surrender moment for her, this surrender moment, it, it changes everything. So I wanna, I wanna read you through what I've, if I were writing the little paragraph at the top of the Bible, like what I would call this little section here is Hannah's holy moment. She, she, had, she had this moment that was, it was set apart to God. This is, this is divine rescue, this is divine intervention. This is the Lord showing up for her as she surrenders herself to him. So starting in verse nine, when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And that's an obscure reference to a thing called the Nazarite vow. It was a big promise. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard which was culturally unheard of in her day, Eli thought she was drunk, and he said to her, how long are you gonna stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked him. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. So she has this, this awesome moment. And I wanna, just, I wanna point out five things that I see as we read through that that I think, and then kind of go into some things that I think will be helpful for us. But this, this is a gutsy moment for her. So the first thing that happens for Hannah in this all-in moment is, is she moves from participating in church to actually being a person who worships. Year after year, year after year, they came and they engaged in the rituals and the sacrifices, and I'm sure it was meaningful. I'm sure there was, there was heart in it, and, and they felt, you know, as, as a family, whatever all that was, and as they went back to their house, that we're glad we did it again this year. But in, in this moment, in this moment of, of all in for her, in this moment of total surrender, what one of the things that changes radically in her is she's not, just, she's not just participating in church, but she has actually become a person who has said to the Lord, like, I belong to you. I belong to you. I, I need you, I'm inviting you into my life. I need you to show up in this way for me and what you give to me, I give back to you. I'm like, 
She was, she was all in in this, in this moment. And so she, has, she, she experiences something and she's, she's in the place where church happened. And she's been in that place before and, and nothing like this has happened to her before. This is, this is when she just, she lets the Lord have it. Like she's, she gives it all up to him and that changes everything for her. She goes from participating in religious ritual and feeling the feels of that to like she is, she is in it with the Lord and she knows the Lord's in it with her. The second thing that I noticed in this and I am really impressed with is great boldness on her part. The way that she speaks to the Lord in humility and with surrender, but what she asks him to do for her. She, there, is, there is no doubt what she wanted from the Lord her God. When we read this prayer, this is not, this is not a safe little prayer that doesn't really ask God for anything. This is, this is, this is a bold let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we'll find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The scripture says this is one of those kinds of prayers. This is a prayer that if God doesn't answer it, she's gonna know. This is a prayer that when God does answer it, she's gonna know. This isn't something that just is like whatever happens is gonna happen in the course of things and that must be God's will. This is, this is a bold prayer where she is really clear with the Lord what she wants from him. It's also all about surrender. Because it's, it's not just, it's not like, it's not this petulant little toddlerish, you know, stomp my feet, arms folded, I don't like my life. This is, this is a, I belong to you and, and I need you to step in and provide rescue for me and here's the way I want you, and as you provide this rescue for me, I am, I am, giving it back to you. What an amazing thing that she would vow to the Lord if you will give me a son. I mean, not, not just a kid. I mean, she was, you talk about boldness and specific. She asked for a son. And if you will give me a son, I will give him back to you. And he will serve you all the days of his life. She was, this thing that she was asking for she was asking for herself, but she was asking for the honor and glory of God and promising to give what he gave to her, to give it back to her. So this is, this is all about surrender. I love how she's vulnerable and transparent. When Eli comes to her and accuses her of being drunk, she, she, could, have, she could have blown him off. She could, have, she could have walked out of there and not said anything to him. And instead, she, she explained herself. You know, she was doing something that was really weird in that cultural context. She was praying just with her lips moving and not making any noise with her mouth. And so, so she's, and when he, when he speaks to her about that, she's willing to say to him, hey, this is what's going on inside of me. And this is, this is where I need the Lord to show up. I am, I am broken and this is, this is killing me and I need the Lord to speak into this. And, and what she does in that moment of vulnerability and transparency, if you remember when we read through that just a few minutes ago, it turns Eli from this guy who is accusing her of 
being inappropriate and immoral, it turns him into somebody who, who's praying along with her that God would give to her what she's asked for. When, when she says, no, I'm brokenhearted and this is me pouring out my heart to the Lord, then he says, may God bless you and may God give you the answer to your request. And so she's vulnerable and she's transparent with another person about what's going on inside of her. And, and then the last thing I see in this is just her exemplary faith. Because it ends with, it ends with Eli speaking his, like, me too, I'm praying, I'm praying this with you and may God give to you what you've answered. And then what it says of her is, may your servant find favor in your eyes, she says to him, and then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And so here she is living, she hears Eli's words and in Eli's words, she hears the Lord speak to her. She hears through him from the Lord, I have you in my hands. I am, I am paying attention to you, my eye is on you. What you are asking me for, I am going to do for you. And God hasn't done any of that for her yet. I don't know if this little episode that we've read here over these last these few several verses, I don't know if this took 15 minutes or if this is the course of a day. But, but if it's 15 minutes or if it's eight hours, nothing has changed. She's still going back to her husband She's still childless. Her rival is still there with the same attitude towards her, but she has changed. She's changed because she has heard something in Eli's blessing and in that time before the Lord, she, her eyes are bright and her face is no longer downcast. Her, she has changed. And I, I love her faith. In these moments that my circumstances have not changed, but I have heard from the Lord. And so I'm walking out of here into that like the Lord my God has me. This is, this is a great woman. <laughs> she, is, she is a strong woman. She is, she is courageous and she is sacrificial and she is bold and she is a woman of faith. And so when I think about us and I think about how we, how we learn from her and how we, how we take her example on and live like her. Let me, I have a few questions that I just wanna kinda ask us as we think about how this applies to our lives and then one statement at the end I don't, I don't want us to miss. The first one for you, the question for you is, is this, is, is it your time to stand up? You know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where that was just all in surrender to the Lord. Described in Romans 12, we read it, about a, becoming a living sacrifice. We don't have that image in our culture, but the sacrifice on the altar that was given for the deity of being a person who just says, you know, my life is yours. I'm all in, I'm all in. Moving from being a person who's a church person, from somebody who's glad to be here and fully engages and fully participates to being somebody who's all in. By the mercies of God, as somebody who's experienced, you've experienced the difference that God's mercy makes in your life. And, 
and if you, ha- if, if you haven't experienced that moment where you just said, yeah, um, I've been trusting Jesus for a while and I've been in the church, but I've not been all in for the Lord. Is this, is this your time to stand up? Connected to that, what do you need to release to the Lord? What do you need to turn loose to him? What, what, what are you living in or living with that is maybe it's too hard for you, but you've been trying to make it happen anyway? Or you've been doing the best that you can, you've, you brought the self-empowerment idea to it, but, but you're only getting the best that you can bring to this deal. And this isn't enough. Like what, The power that you bring to it as self is not enough. What, what do you need to turn loose to the Lord and, and like give, give to him, to give over to him so that, so that he's got it and so that it can be in his hands and so, so that it can have the power that God brings into our lives? What do, you, what do you need to release to him? Third question, here Jesus asked this. He asked this of people when he walked the earth. He asked this question, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a cool question? That the son of God, the all-powerful son of God would walk up to somebody who was in need and ask them, say to them, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus walked up to you and asked you that question, if by his spirit, who speaks to your heart, his spirit speaks to your spirit. He asks you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Like that's his question. And I think you should approach your prayer life that way. As if he's your heavenly father who loves you and who knows you and who knows your circumstances and he is all powerful and he is perfectly and infinitely good and, and he has given you the right, the authority, the invitation to come before him, his question to you is, what do you want me to do for you? And if there's been this safe little prayer that you've been praying because you're not sure that you could ask that of God or you're not sure you really wanna ask him in case he doesn't come through or you don't want, like you wanna let him off the hook somehow if he's got a different... But I think... I think this is, this is a place for prayer to start, that your, your holy and good, loving, heavenly Father wants, what do you want me to do for you? That boldness, that boldness in prayer that, that changes everything. Next question. Who will you ask to speak into your decision? Who are you gonna be transparent and vulnerable with? Does this, this, kind, of, this kind of decision, the, the all-in decision, the, the prayer decision, the I'm, I gotta stand up and surrender, these are, these are decisions that you make, but they're not decisions that you can walk out by yourself. So this is, this is a, who's in it with you? Who, who could be like Eli was for Hannah, the person that speaks, hope and blessing and encouragement into you as you say, hey, I'm giving this to the Lord. I'm seeking the Lord in this scenario. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord because who would be your person? 
that you could invite into that difficult situation, that decision you're making, who would be your person that you could ask to speak into and speak God's blessing into with you? Next question, last question for today. What can you believe now? And I wanna emphasize a couple different words. So like, what can you believe now? When you look at your circumstances and you think about who God is and his love for you, and what he's already done for you and the offers that he has made to you and, and you see what's in front of you and you see the difficulty and the impossibility of some things, just, just thinking about who God is, what can you believe right now about these circumstances that you're in? And then I wanna emphasize the word now. Like what can you believe now? In this moment, if, if this were to be your holy moment, if this were to be the moment where you stood up in, in all in surrender, what, what can you believe now to, to go to the Lord and ask him to do for you? What can you believe now? So the way this story wraps up is, is Hannah leaves, leaves the tent. She's met with the Lord. She's different. She leaves the tent. A year later, she has a baby. She names him Samuel which means, his name means the Lord heard. Do not miss what his name means. She knew that there was, there was a divine encounter. When she stood up and surrendered, she experienced a divine encounter where the Lord heard her and she named that baby Samuel and she fulfilled her vow to give him back to the Lord and she gave him to the Lord and he grew up in the presence of the Lord and he became the guy who led the nation back towards the Lord, preparing the way for King David and King Solomon and the apex of the people of God's obedience and receiving of his blessing. And what I think you and I should take from that is do not underestimate the ripple effect. Of, of your standing up. It, it will mean everything for you and it will, it will bear fruit farther than you can see, more than you can imagine. Do not underestimate the ripple effect of your standing up, of that moment of surrender where you just, where you become one of those people who I'm all in for him, he's already all in for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be bold, I'm gonna live by faith, I'm gonna trust the Lord to show up. Don't underestimate the ripple effect. It will not only change everything for you, it will change farther than you or I could think or imagine. Because this isn't a, this isn't a moment of self-empowerment, this is a moment of, of absolute surrender to the Lord, to the power that he brings into your and my circumstances when we, when we give it back to him. So I wanna pray for you guys. Would you please bow your head and close your eyes with me? So I'm gonna pray for us, but if this is your moment, this is, this is a chance for you just to tell the Lord that I'm, I'm surrendering, I am all in, I am that 
living sacrifice that we read about. I'm that, I'm gonna be that person, faith and courage. So Lord, thank you for stories like this of people of faith who come to the end of themselves and find you to be, to be all. And like Hannah, may we, be, may we be all in people. Would you give us a, a holy boldness to press into you and to expect of you things that are far beyond us. And would you let us see in that your goodness, your grace, your miraculous intervention, your hope, your life, your health, your kind of well-being, your future, and a ripple effect that exceeds anything any of us could, could even ask, much less imagine. And Jesus, all of this comes to us through you. So we are really grateful that you would give your life for us, for people like us, and that you would give your spirit to people like us, that you would answer prayers for people like us. Thank you. So we pray these things in your name, amen. Great to be with you guys. For those of you here in the room, if you'd like somebody to pray with you, there'll be prayer leaders down front. If you're watching online, if you hit that prayer button, we'd love to pray with you there. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. I love you. We'll see you next week.